Welcome to the Treble Podcast. I'm your host, David Gertler. Treble is a business networking platform that helps professionals manage, grow, and most importantly, leverage their network for new business and career opportunities. Our podcast highlights business professionals and their stories. Join us to hear how some amazing people navigated or created their own career path and share business insights with us. Hey, Laura, thanks so much for making time today. We're really excited to have you on the program. Well, thanks for having me. It's an honor to be with you, and um, I'm excited about what you're doing. So it's really great to be here. Awesome. So tell me a little bit about what you're up to today. What what, what drives Laura Newman? Uh, well, you know, I recently decided to step out of the governor's race. I've put uh, a tremendous amount of uh, time and effort into it over the last several months, and mm-hmm had the honor of meeting people all over Maryland. I care deeply about this state. I was born and raised in Maryland, educated in Maryland. Uh, and in fact, I was born and raised in Baltimore City. And as the only candidate from Baltimore City and you know, one of the only candidates from Maryland, it really matters to me that um, we get involved and try to make a difference. I've seen the best and the worst of what our state has to offer. And that's why I got involved. Yeah. So nobody came to you and said, hey, Laura, what the heck were you thinking? Oh, well, you know, I'm okay with that question. I believe in showing up. I believe in getting involved. And, um, you know, I say to my kids all the time that you don't succeed every time. And that, in fact, that's probably good because if that happened, you wouldn't take real risks. Mm -hmm. So I believe in uh, taking the risk and sometimes it works out and sometimes it doesn't. But every single one of those experiences has been a great experience and a learning process. That's awesome. So I want to take you back now to maybe your high school or early college days. um, And, you know, which for you was a couple of years ago, right? Just a few. Just a few, (laughs) just a few, right? I'm with you. Um, And then ask, you know, was that on your horizon? Like, hey, one day I'm going to be, you know, run for governorship of Maryland. You know, tell, tell me what you were like back then. And then let's fill in the dots and how you ended up where you are today. Wow, well, that's a big question. You know, I grew up in inner city Baltimore and I started in Baltimore City Public Schools. Um, by high school, I was in Catholic school. And, uh, you know, my parents weren't, they were both high school dropouts and they didn't really have a clear career path. That wasn't something we discussed in our home. In fact, they had both been arrested multiple times and it was a fairly chaotic environment, is the best way to describe it. And I went through six different schools before dropping out in the 11th grade. Uh, One of those schools was um, a Catholic school in Baltimore City. And when I was a ninth and 10th grader, they put me on the secretarial track, you know, which is now called an an administrative assistant. So they wanted me to learn shorthand and typing. And this is before computers were widely used. And uh, I just remember saying to them, you know, there's nothing wrong with being a secretary, but that's not really what my dream is. And they connected my socioeconomic status with this particular career path. And I remember being like, wow, why don't I get to decide that? Mm. Uh, and I had the opportunity to go to a different school in the county for a year before I, w- I had to leave the school. You know, getting there was impossible and we couldn't afford it. So I ended up dropping out as well. And for me, those early years were really about survival more than about, you know, dreaming about a career or a future opportunity. We just didn't have those conversations in our household. But you had a, you mentioned something just briefly, you had a spark of why don't I get to make that decision? That's pretty insightful. Yeah, I I felt like I should be able to decide what my path is. And look, if you're happy being a secretary, then I think, you know, that's terrific. I think it's wonderful. Everyone makes a contribution. Mm -hmm. And so every job, in my opinion, has meaning. And the truth is, I 
got tremendous value out of some of those jobs. And in the early part of my career, I was a waitress. I was a cashier. I stocked shelves at the Gap. I mean, I, I, I don't regret doing any of those jobs. In fact, they were very worthwhile and I learned a lot. And in fact, I actually enjoyed them. <laughs> but, um, but it wasn't what I dreamt for myself for my long-term career goals. So talk about that, right? So you're, you're working at these, you know, hard, hardworking jobs. Um, and then you have somewhere in the back of your mind an aspiration. I did. So for me, I really wanted to, you know, I didn't know what business was, right? So I was a waitress. I worked in retail. And one day uh, when I was 21, I was, and now I'm a high school dropout. I haven't gone to college and because I couldn't afford it. Uh, so I replied to a help wanted ad in the newspaper for a company called T-Bird Price. They were looking for customer service reps. And I had never heard of this company, of course, because it wasn't in my world. Uh, but I called them up and asked if I could apply to be a customer service rep. Uh, and the reason I was interested is because it was paying minimum wage, which was like $7 an hour at the time. Uh, and as a waitress, you got $2 an hour plus tips. So uh, they said, you know, do you have a college degree? That was their first question. And I was like, I don't. But will you at least meet with me? So I went and met with them and they interviewed me and I was hired. And uh, it was a part-time job, but it was actually pretty profound because it was my introduction to business. And I realized I loved business. And so it was an immediate fit for me. I really enjoyed it. And I spent most of my 20s trying to get into a stable, reliable, reputable company. And back then, that meant IBM and then Microsoft and then Apple. But uh, as someone who didn't have the check the right boxes, uh, on college degree or even finishing high school, I was never a candidate for their training program. So I was never hired by them, which is what took me down a very different path, which was becoming an entrepreneur. Right. Wow. So, but it didn't stop you. So one of the insights that, that, that you just shared is that you went for it, you know, even though you didn't have necessarily, it's like, why not make that phone call? And, and you had the right skills to break in. How long were you at Tiro? A couple years, and I did work at different companies throughout my 20s, but the most profound change mm -hmm. happened in the least likely of circumstances. Okay. So when I was in my early 30s, I was working for a direct mail company. I could never break out of that you know, sales rep, account manager role because mm -hmm. of my lack of academic credentials. I didn't check the right boxes. So I happened to be in a meeting at a company that I did not want to work for. Uh, my office was actually a desk in a hallway. <laughs> so... I was, my back was to the hallway and my desk was facing the wall and it was a direct mail company and it wasn't really wh where I wanted to be, but I had to pay the bills. Mm -hmm. uh, so I showed up every day dressed like I was working in a bank, even though I was working in a direct marketing company, what we call junk mail, if you will. Uh, and so, you know, for me, I believe in showing up. I believe in being prepared and I represented my company. So I wanted to do that in a professional way. And a client came in one day asking for a direct mail campaign. It turned out it was Loyola University in Maryland, and they were very impressed with how I conducted the meeting on behalf of my company. And they called afterwards and said, hey, we think we were so impressed with you. We think you'd be a great candidate for our MBA program. And they left this message on my voicemail saying, we think you should apply. Right. And I actually didn't respond to the voicemail because, first of all, greatest thing ever. Like, how flattering is it for someone like me to get a call like that saying, we see you as someone with potential? But then, you know, the immediate realization that I'm not qualified for this program, you know, I don't have the academic credentials to apply. And so I, I let that phone call pass me by. Mm -hmm. I did not respond to it. And then they called again. 
And that's when I realized, wow, I can either show up uh, or I can let it pass me by. So I called them and went in and met with them and said, hey, this is my story. And I walked them through my early years and, and the challenges I had faced. And uh, I asked them if they would ever consider making an exception and uh, let me into the program. So I made the ask, I took the risk <laughs> and um, it was a very rigorous process, uh, which would take a lot longer to share. But the truth is ultimately they took a chance on me and I was accepted into the program, which is how I got an MBA without finishing high school or college. That's amazing. It's just an amazing story. I mean, it, it's funny because it reminds me you know, you, you were your own worst enemy, right? You, you didn't feel you were worthy simply because you didn't have the academic credential. Certainly not but, qualified. <laughs> right. You didn't think you were qualified, right? And, and yet you were, and you, you've shown, um, and, you know, just that extra boost of confidence. I think that's another key takeaway from your story is having somebody believe in you and make that phone call. But it really came back to the way you conducted yourself. They wouldn't have done that for just anybody. It must've been a testament to how you presented, you know, during that meeting with them, and what they saw in you. Um, so really, well, it was definitely a process, I had to demonstrate that I could bring value to the program. And mm -hmm. that was on me. And I'm going to be honest with you, I think this is a really important lesson. Mm -hmm. I could have done every single thing they asked me to do and still not been accepted. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of times we have this, there's this mindset, especially these days where, oh, if I do this, I want something in return. Mm -hmm. And the truth is I could have done everything they asked and not been accepted. And mm -hmm. I accepted those terms because it was worth taking the chance. Mm -hmm. And I, there's still value in that process, even if they had ultimately said no, it would have been um, disappointing, right. but there still was value in the process. Right. And during your, during your um, degree program, um, did you feel disadvantaged because you didn't have the academic or was it oh really just your experience, you know, bubbling up to the surface? Tell me a little bit. about. Oh, you're so yeah. good. No one's ever asked me that question, but the truth is that something very significant happened very early in that process. Mm -hmm. Um, of course I showed up not feeling like I fully deserved to be there because, mm -hmm. you know, I wasn't a traditional candidate and, um, you know, I'm filled with self self-doubt in that moment as anyone would be. Um, but also feeling very strongly that I'm going to prove myself and I have something to contribute. Um, and in the first weekend of the program, we did a retreat uh, and we were assigned teams. So this retreat was at the Maritime Institute and you know we all none of us knew each other and we were broken up into teams for the duration of the program, which was three years. So I met my new teammates that retreat weekend and one of my teammates said to me, point blank, because uh, we had to share our background and how we got there. She said, you know, I don't think you deserve to be here. Wow. It was a rough year. <laughs> yeah, wow. It was a rough year. So it is uh, not traditional, but I requested to be moved to a new team, mm -hmm. which I was at the end of the first year. And that actually dramatically changed my experience. Those, the, mm -hmm. those folks on my second team are lifelong friends. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. And a few from the first team too, just yeah. not all of them. <laughs> Oh, that's cool. So after you graduate, it's a whole new world for, for you. It was. Well, you know, that that changed not only how I presented myself in the world, but also my actual qualification. So being an MBA candidate mm -hmm. uh, is almost as valuable as having the actual degree. Uh, and at that point, I, I went back and applied to all those same companies, IBM, Microsoft, Apple, you know, you name the big company that has the great training program. And um, they all turned me down again. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, okay, I guess I'm going to have to make my own path here. So I started to gravitate towards smaller companies. 
Um, you know, look, I wanted to I wanted to to follow the traditional path. And uh, at that point, I was 10 years older than a lot of folks who would have gone into those companies in their management training programs. So I went to smaller companies instead. And what happened is that because I was so hardworking and you know, willing to put in the time and the effort and creative, I quickly rose through the ranks. Um, but there are trade-offs with smaller companies. You know, there's a reason that folks like to go to the larger companies. They're well-established. They have you know, clearly understood processes. Well, the smaller companies often struggle with experience and leadership. Mm -hmm. You kind of are taking a chance when you go to a smaller company and it might be a great experience, but it also could be very frustrating. There's a lack of leadership experience in some cases. So, you know, I definitely was able to make my mark fast. By my second company, I was a, an executive on the management team and I or someone I hired closed every single deal on the S1 when that company filed an IPO to go public. I was one of only three people to even have an employment agreement because I demonstrated my value so quickly. Mm -hmm. But I also learned that, <laughs> that I didn't know anything. <laughs> I thought I had it all figured out by then. I was feeling like I like owned the world. They paid me a lot of money. They gave me a great, a great title. You know, I was part of this process in helping this company go public. I closed the biggest deals. Uh, all the deals were closed by me or my staff. And so I actually thought, honestly, that I had made it. I really felt like it doesn't get any better than this. Then the company did the IPO. They had renegotiated my contract right beforehand and took away all of my stock options. They back-end loaded them by three years. Wow. And, um, and then they let me go. Wow. So I was kind of, I, I actually realized I wasn't as smart as I thought I was because I didn't get any equity. So they paid me well, but they, they, they kept all the equity for themselves. Right. And so these three people on the management team divided up the equity amongst themselves. And I realized that I didn't know quite as much as I thought I did, because the truth is real wealth is built through ownership, not through a salary. Right. And that became my goal after I left that company was to, to have equity ownership. So another tremendous learning point for you, which is have the equity position. So from there, did you start your own company? Well, it's interesting. At that point, I was in a pretty good place in my career and I was offered this great job. Again, another job with a really terrific salary with a fantastic person who's still a friend to this day, Tian Wong. Uh, Tian offered me this position as president of his then company and it was a great job. And it did include equity, but it was more about the salary and it was a very established company. And I thought, you know, first of all, I was really grateful that the offer was made. I still have the offer letter to this day. Wow. <laughs> I'm going to keep it forever as Tien knows. And um, I turned it down and instead chose to take a risk on what was a bankrupt, almost, I would say insolvent. They hadn't filed bankruptcy uh, startup that was started by two scientists out of NSA. And I did that 100% for equity with no salary. Mm -hmm. So I took the big risk. I jumped off the cliff. I, you know, cashed in my savings. I cashed in my retirement account. I paid my mortgage on a credit card. And I signed up to be CEO of a company that was not only not able to pay its bills, they weren't able to pay me either. So I didn't get paid until I raised the money to finance the company. And then everyone got paid. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Amazing. What came after that? Well, you know, at that point, I was like, I'm going to prove myself. Like you, you guys are going to like realize that you should have bet on me because I'm going to bet on myself. Right. And so what I did was I bet on myself and I decided that I would just show everyone what I was capable of. 
And, you know, it, that is literally what drove me. It's why I worked so hard because I really believed I had something to offer. And, you know, sometimes you have to make your own path. Sometimes, you know, the traditional path isn't available to you and you can just go ahead and go out and carve your own way, which is what I chose to do. And the truth is that that was very successful for me. Um, you know, I raised some money for the company, a couple angel rounds and then a series A. We all then eventually received a salary. The founders and I had the same status. If, if, if I got paid, they got paid. Like we had the same, I was never going to take a paycheck until I knew that they were taking a paycheck too. So it was a team effort and um, raised, I think it was close to 17 million in venture capital. I'd never raised venture capital before. Um, and so a lot of people say to me, how did you know how to raise venture capital? And, and the story is very simple. I say, you know what? This is the deal. I didn't know anything about it. I had never done it before. So I went and looked for a course called How to Raise Venture Capital. And I found one at Loyola. And I went to that seminar. I met both of the presenters. One was an angel investor. One was a Series A investor. They both agreed to meet with me. And that's how I learned how to raise venture capital. I mean, I just got involved. I looked for information. And, uh, and I showed up and did the work. So that's how I started to build what you would call a network of venture capital uh, investors, because they all talk to each other. That's one of the great lessons that I've learned in business. And I'll be honest, it came to me a little late, is that everyone knows everyone. They all talk to each other. And so you're building your reputation in the community. I was trying to build a reputation as someone who was worth investing in. I wanted them to invest in my company. And uh, ultimately, that company was very successful. It was sold for over $230 million. And I had a lot of equity in that company. And so that was really a life-changing event for me. Wow, that's tremendous. You know, it's funny. I, I just keep thinking of like the, the themes from what I hear, betting on yourself, um, something to prove, uh, and then doing the hard work. I, those are the three things that come clear. So tell me about now. What, what are you up to now? What's, what's next <laughs> now that you're out of the race? Um, take, a, take a few days off and then decide what to do? Well, you know, the, it just, just by coincidence, that particular company, I've over the years have now mentored, advised, or invested in hundreds of early stage technology companies. Mm -hmm. And I love that space. You know, I, when people ask me what my title is, I always say entrepreneur. Other than mom, it's entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. Because I just, I see the tremendous value in creating uh, opportunity. And I really believe in it. And I do believe it's what uniquely sets, sets this country apart. But um, just by coincidence, that particular company, my last day there was 9-11. Mm -hmm. And I knew before I went in that day that that was going to be my last day. What I didn't know is that it was going to be 9-11. Mm -hmm. So I used to watch the news in the morning and uh, I watched the first tower uh, get hit. And we all thought at that point, maybe it was an accident. I mean, we didn't really understand it was terrorism immediately. Right. Uh, but I got in my car and drove uh, to my office. And while I was on the way there, the second tower was hit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, my intention going in that day was to thank my staff, my employees, uh, and, you know, transition. And uh, what ended up happening instead is that I became, you know, absolutely consumed by the news, as so many of us were. Uh, and I stood in front of the television in the office with my team and watched the towers come down. Uh, and... I made a decision on that day that at some point in my career, I would go into public service. Now, I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what that was going to look like. I had met Secretary James Baker at a Carlisle event. Uh, and I thought, well, I would he's the only person I knew in politics. <laughs> and I didn't even know him. I had just met him. 
so I wanted to find a way to give back uh, to the country that had been so great to me. I know that my story is only possible because I was born in this country. Uh, and so I wanted to find a way to do that. And that became my, my goal after, after leaving Matrix. Uh, so I contacted Secretary Baker, he's very gracious. And he said, look, Laura, everybody wants to sign up now. <laughs> so I thought I would wait until the right time presented itself. Uh, and that's what happened. I got the call from Ken Allman in Howard County saying, will you come run the Economic Development Authority? And I thought, okay. Wow. First of all, I went in and met with him. He's really smart. And he had lots of creative ideas. And I had a lot of creative ideas. Uh, and he said, I want you to run the Economic Development Authority here. And I said, well, what's economic development? Like, I didn't even know what that meant. Because as a private sector person, we're not really connected to government or to economic development. That's not something that you think about as a tech entrepreneur. Uh, that is changing, but it wasn't the case for a long time. So we, you know, we worked together well and I enjoyed that work and that's how I ended up stepping into that role. But I will admit, as someone from the private sector, I had a lot to learn about how government works because it's a very different process. The relationships are different. Right, right. So it was a learning experience, but it was also a great experience. Um, a couple of great things came out of it. One is I launched the Maryland Center for Entrepreneurship, mm -hmm. which I conceived of and launched. It was very exciting to be able to do that. Um, I kept, you know, a really great company in Maryland that was planning to leave Maryland, Tessie Mays. Uh, they started with salad dressings and now branched out into other products. Mm -hmm. And I brought a new company to Maryland that was looking at five other states, Elta, North America. And those kinds of successes and being able to take a creative approach to economic development, I really enjoyed. So I wasn't planning to leave that job anytime soon. In fact, I was really enjoying the work I was doing there. But my home county was Anne Arundel. I drove into Howard County every day. And uh, while I was in that job, I was about two years in when the county executive in Anne Arundel went to jail and there was a process to replace him. And 16 people applied for that, that position. And I was one of those 16 and I was selected. Wow. Um, did that for a couple of years, right? I did. Loved it. Yep. Great to do public service. Um, mm -hmm. I had no idea how, how like extraordinary truly it is to be able to make a difference in your community like that. So I did love the work and, um, you know, I'm glad I had the opportunity to do that. It was an honor to be able to do it. Right. And uh, just recently stepped down from uh, running for governor of the state of Maryland. Uh, what's what's next for you, Laura? What what are you what are your thoughts in terms of figuring out what to do and how to spend your time? Uh, well, I have decided to endorse a candidate. It's a very crowded primary. There are nine candidates, and I've endorsed. I was the only female, so I was candidate number ten. Mm -hmm. There just wasn't enough runway for me to be successful in this race. I got into the race too late. Um, but, you know, I don't regret doing it. It was an extraordinary experience. Honestly, it was a fantastic experience. And I got to meet a lot of people across the state. But uh, when I made the decision to get out of the race, I had two choices. I could either not endorse or I could choose one of the candidates that I wanted to support. And I decided to endorse Peter Francho. And it wasn't political, truthfully. There was a very specific story attached to it. When I was county executive, you know, I was new to politics. I hadn't like, you know, gone through the process that so many politicians had gone through. So I had a, a bit of a learning curve and uh, Severna Park High School was in my home county and it was my job to fight for my community. And the funding for Severna Park High School had been taken out of the budget and that school had waited for years for that funding to go into the budget. 
And when it was taken out, I was, you know, obviously upset about that. So I called the three people on the Board of Public Works because, you know, they make the decision about those funding allocations. And uh, it's the governor, the comptroller, and the treasurer. And the only one of the three who agreed to meet with me <laughs> in the short term was uh, the comptroller. I didn't know the comptroller. I never met him. And uh, we, were, we had a meeting set up. He had to reschedule it. So he came to my office and he sat down in my conference room. And um, this, is, this is like how relationships are built over time. It's the reason I decided to endorse him. And it is really fundamental in you know, public service and building connections in the community. I said to him when he came to my office, I said, first of all, it's really nice to meet you. And then I said, um, Mr. Comptroller, today is my birthday, which it really was. <laughs> and I said, would you like to know what I'd like for my birthday? And uh, I, yeah, I'm sure he's thinking, oh my gosh, where is this going? I said, I'd like the money for Severna Park High School to go back into the budget. And so his immediate reaction, like he could have either been like, she's crazy or how can I help? His immediate reaction was, let's go take a look at it. So he set up a tour of the school and, um, you know, it became a thing in the media because, you know, this is a very big school in the community and funding for school construction is a really big deal. Uh, but he and I were going to go tour the school together with the leadership there and the media showed up and then half the elected officials in Anne Arundel County showed up because it was a media event uh, and he pulled me aside. Uh, we went into, I think, the principal's office and he said, look, Laura, this is a win for you already. Claim your win. And I didn't realize at the time, but he was just being kind to me. He was extending an arm and, or maybe extending a hand or putting his arm around me and saying, hey, you know, you worked hard for this. So step out in front on it. Uh, so we got to the end of the tour and, you know, he gave me a lot of credit for, you know, going out and fighting for my community. And this is someone I didn't even know. Hmm. So the idea that, A, he would help me in that way, not even knowing me, and we were just getting to know each other, and B, really support an important project in the community like that, uh, really, it struck me. And I think that's what leadership is all about. Wow. So that's why I decided to get behind him. Yeah, that's awesome. Hey, Laura, thank you so much for your time today. Really appreciate it. It's a truly inspirational story. And, um, you know, for, you for, a, for a high school dropout who, you know, got her MBA and, and, you know, did all these amazing things in both private and public. Uh, I'm a big fan and I'm eager to see what you do next. Well, thank you. It is a pleasure to be with you. I've been following you too, and it's, uh, it's a real honor to be with you. Thank you for having me. Awesome. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Treble Podcast. If you're inspired by this story, want to network more effectively, and unlock new business and career opportunities, download Treble from the App Store today. You'll need to search for Treble Network, all one word. We're offering an exclusive deal for our podcast listeners to get a free premium membership with the promo code TREBLEPOD. Again, use the code TREBLEPOD to get a free premium membership on Treble today.